0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. They came into the clinic and arrested him.
1: A professional therapist is charged with sexually exploiting his clients over a three-year period. People use their positions of power not only to access victims, they also exploit that power and the trust relationship as a means of avoiding detection. Fox 6 investigation finds it is far from his first encounter with the law. How did you get a therapy license with a record like that? But it's the allegations that never made it into court. This might be just another example, sadly, of that particular system failing survivors. They have advocates for victims of sexual violence asking how a man accused of raping four women got a license to counsel others behind closed doors.
2: We call that falling through the cracks and you've clearly identified a huge gaping crack there.
1: From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Poulson, and I'm joined by Open Records executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hi, guys. And we are also joined by Contact Six's Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna.
0: Hi, Brian. Hi, Sarah.
1: So we are recording this episode on Wednesday, March 30th, for release on Thursday, March 31st. This week, we're going to talk about a four-time convicted felon named George Ramsey, who became a licensed professional therapist in Wisconsin. And of course that gives him direct access to women. And in this case, in particular, three women who now say he sexually harassed and assaulted them. So guys, this is, uh, you've, you've seen the story. Um, there's no question it's a troubling story. I don't know, what were your reactions, first reactions when you watched it?
0: Well, the allegations against this gentleman are very serious. And I guess the question you're raising is how is he allowed to practice in light of everything in his past? Could you outline some of the allegations against him, what the concerns are um, that he is seeing people in a private setting?
1: Yeah, The allegations alone are pretty, pretty uh, serious and, and pretty rare. It, we I've done stories in the past on therapists who've been accused of some sort of sexual misconduct, and usually it is something where... It otherwise appears to be consensual, but it's never consensual when it's a therapist with a client because there's a power dynamic. It's, it's completely against their ethics and, and against the law, frankly, for them to have any kind of sexual relationship. In this case, the allegations are more serious because they don't appear to have been advances that were wanted. Uh, In other words, these were uh, female clients who say that George Ramsey would hug them at the end of sessions or would make sexually suggestive comments like um, you need to dress sexier next time or dress for success, which, you know, with a wink, uh, something that sort of suggested that he wanted them to dress more provocatively. Um, But then those things started to progress beyond just harassment or, or verbal intimidation to actual physical touching. He would grope them over their clothing, grope him, grab himself over his clothing. Then he would start to do things like unzipping their clothing, undressing himself in front of them. And then it actually progressed at certain times to actual sexual contact. The most probably disturbing of the allegations happened in March of 2021. So about a year ago, when uh, one of the victims says that Ramsey at a private uh, facility that he was had set up as his own counseling center um which by the way on a side note he never got any approval through the state to open um he, he's running this private counseling center she says that he has her in this closed room um he is undressing himself and then trying to force her to perform a sex act by pushing her head down but when she resists when she pulls away He sits back. She describes this anyway. Her allegations are that he sits back in a chair at his desk and pulls open a desk drawer. And inside that drawer is a gun. And he tells her that essentially the door's locked. No one else can hear what's going on. Um, And obviously she's terrified. She says she's looking around the room to try to find a way to get out, an opportunity. And what she came up with was instead to sort of turn the tables and say, suggest she was into it and they should meet at a hotel and that that was a more proper place to do this. And uh, to her relief, he agreed and she was able to get away and she went to police. Um, So at least those those are the things that are described in the allegations, obviously. Particularly that last situation, but all of them are are disturbing. All of them are, are obviously way over the line for a therapist, but they cross the line from just inappropriate behavior by a therapist to actual sexual assault.
2: That was like my one thought as I watched the story and, and, you know, as hearing you talk about it again in a little bit more detail, even than what's in the story. And just, you know, it's wild that the allegations um, and just the accusations against him and that alone, I think, you know, usually is enough for us to go, Hey, we should look into this guy, but that's not, you know, that wasn't the only thing that prompted you to start your investigation here. So what else, what else came that popped in, that caught your attention. Well, and this
1: is one of those cases where I'm going to give producer Pete the nod because he found the details of this case in a search warrant affidavit um, at the Milwaukee County Courthouse a long time ago. And he said, well, you've got to read this. This is this is really troubling. And when you look at someone who's accused of doing that kind of, uh, you know, engaging that kind, that level of misconduct, you think, OK, there's more to this guy. This isn't This isn't just a a clean cut professional with no background uh, in the in the court system who suddenly decides to start sexually assaulting women. So producer Pete looked him up and he saw that he, he has a pretty lengthy criminal record, including some felony charges. And, uh, and that's when uh, Producer Pete came to me and said, I think there's more to this. How does this guy even end up with a therapy license in the first place? And that was where we started the process. Uh, Producer Pete put in an open records request to Milwaukee police for everything they have on this guy. They wanted He wanted their complete background, their the records. And when those records finally came back, uh, there were some really disturbing allegations that predated George Ramsey's first application to become a licensed therapist. And that's where this really, I think, took a more serious turn, an even more serious turn, because now it's not just about one bad guy doing terrible things. It becomes a question about a system that gave him that access when there were all of these red flags.
0: I'd like to hear more about that part of it, because as a woman, I think it's easy to put ourselves, Sarah and I probably putting ourselves in the position of the victims here, because you go into this room with someone, you trust that they're professional, that they're certified, that it's a safe space. And it wasn't seemingly for these women who went into this situation. Can you tell me a bit about what's in his past, you mentioned rape
2: allegations.
1: Yeah, those are the ones that stood out. But setting those aside for a moment, in terms of just convictions alone, they go, uh, George Ramsey's 62 years old now. He was 61 when these allegations surfaced. He didn't get his first therapy license until he was 46 years old. Go way back to when he was in his 20s. He was living in California. He was convicted of robbery, a felony in California. So that's 40 years ago or almost 40 years ago, he's convicted of a felony. Um, He comes back to Wisconsin and he is charged with uh, there was a drunk driving crash where he seriously injured an elderly woman, uh, broke both of her legs, destroyed her car. He's uh, charged and, and sentenced in that case. And while he's serving in the work release facility in Milwaukee, he goes off to, you know, one of his days of release and just doesn't come back. He's charged with escape. So he didn't, like, break out of a prison, but still it's a very serious criminal charge, escape from custody, in addition to the drunk driving crash that seriously injured someone. Um, And as time goes on, there are a variety of allegations, oftentimes involving him being in possession of a gun. He's a convicted felon. You can't have a gun, but he's caught over and over again having guns in his possession. This happens in his 30s. It happens again in his 40s. These are all convictions that are clear in the record. But what really stood out was four arrests in 1997, 2000, again in 2000, and then in 2002, in which George Ramsey was identified and arrested by police as the suspect in four unrelated sexual assaults. What really stands out, it's with four different victims. It'd be pretty bad to have raped the same person four times over those years. But it's even more alarming when there are four distinct victims making very similar allegations against the same person. Ramsey was identified all four times. He was arrested by police all four times. The records show that these er- these cases were considered cleared by arrest. In other words, as far as police were concerned, they solved the crime. And these were various serious sexual assaults. This wasn't just some inappropriate touching. This was people who said he forced them into situations where he was trying to physically force their bodies into certain positions, or he was in fact, he did in fact uh, rape them. Two of the victims said he had a knife at the time. Um, And one of them, probably the most disturbing of them, was a a 95-pound Homeless woman with a drug addiction who was smoking crack or told police she'd been smoking crack with this stranger who turns out to be Ramsey. And he became violent. He had a knife. He she ends up escaping the apartment without her clothes, um, and is bleeding, is crying, is standing in the street at a payphone calling nine one one when someone else comes up and asks, you know, what's wrong and, and then police arrive. Um but ultimately None of those cases led to criminal charges because in every case, these were women who were either themselves compromised in terms of credibility. They were drug addicts. One was a prostitute. It, it really interesting and, and alarming. In one of the cases, police came across the victim because they were investigating a series of homicides of prostitutes. And they talked to one of the prostitutes that they found uh, on the street. And she said, well, actually, there's this guy who just held me at knife point and raped me recently. And she described George Ramsey. Now, he was never identified as a suspect in those prostitute homicides, but that was a big deal back at the time, um, that investigation. So the fact that his name keeps coming up over and over again is obviously very troubling. But in every case, the victims either didn't show up for charging conferences with the district attorney or they immediately told police, I just wanted you to get here so I could be safe. I don't want to go any further with this. Uh, in, In one case, it was actually someone who was a longtime friend of Ramsey who told police, I don't want to go any further with this. I just wanted him out of here. So in the end, no matter how serious these four allegations are, none of them led to criminal charges, which means there's no criminal conviction And that ends up not being something in a typical background check search.
2: So then, as you mentioned, these these all happened prior to him going into being a therapist. So, you know, if he would have been charged and if these victims would have appeared at these various hearings, you know, would that have prevented him then, you know, from getting a therapy license? Because you mentioned none of these uh, allegations, and after being arrested, because he's never charged, are never going to show up on a background check. So, obviously, I feel like that probably plays a role in him in the therapy license. Well, and
1: I should be clear: I sh- I don't know for sure that they wouldn't show up in a background check. I said that, but they may well show up in one, but it's it, there's it's not guaranteed. And and where it really becomes an issue is when it comes to the state licensing agency, which in this case is the Wisconsin Department of Safety and Professional Services. There are limitations as to what they can consider when they are considering an application for a license. And arrests are not things they can consider unless they are arrests that involve a pending criminal charge at the time. Then they can ask about them. Otherwise, they can only ask about convictions or pending criminal charges um so a past arrest that was cleared and not uh n- you know no processed by the prosecutor wasn't turned into a criminal charge they can't consider that so that obviously becomes an issue in this process um in terms of whether or not they looked through these allegations in considering is this an appropriate person to be a professional therapist had they been charged and led to convictions would that have prevented him from becoming one I think we can safely say it probably would have i don't think a conviction for rape is going to uh, be a real green light to becoming a therapist but we can't say for sure because we don't know what dsps would have done we don't know what kind of conversations might have happened what i do know is this the way the law applies here in terms of employment discrimination in wisconsin you can consider someone's past convictions if those criminal convictions are substantially related to the job they would be doing or the license they are applying for but when you're talking about one-on-one private therapy sessions uh, potentially with female clients i think it would be pretty easy to see or argue that a past conviction for uh second degree or first degree sexual assault Uh, would be substantially related to that position and probably would have been disqualifying. So the real difference here seems to have been the difference between convictions and merely arrests.
0: You know what, and what you just outlined, I think is really the most important part of the story because we're always talking amongst our team about the bigger picture and why should this matter? It's not just, you know, one guy who's accused of doing a number of bad things. The bigger question is how did he get into this position of authority in the first place? Obviously, he is someone you would want to speak with for this story. What happened when you reached out to Ramsey? Well,
1: George Ramsey was a hard person to find. Um, We tried to reach him in a number of ways. I called. I didn't have a phone number for him, but I did call some of his family members. I called the church that he belongs to that he... uh, his attorney uh, listed in one of the filings with the court. They said he was a deacon at the church or a minister at the church. Um, I got no calls back from any of any of those places. So we started to try to find him. Um, He had been arrested in 2021 at his mother's house in Milwaukee. We went there, never could find him. Um, He we knew his brother was very close to his brother, uh, the one who posted his bail. So we went and watched at his house for for a, a long time and never saw him there. We went to the apartment that he lists with Justice Point. That's the pretrial services agency that sort of keeps tabs on defendants while they're pending trial. Sort of they they assist the court in helping keep tabs, communicate with defendants about when their upcoming court dates are, make sure they're keeping up with things like drug testing and whatnot. Um, He told Justice Point that he lived in uh, in Brown Deer, right across from the TV station, actually, in some apartments. I went to those apartments on a number of occasions saying, are you sure he doesn't live here? They said he hasn't lived here for months, but he kept telling Justice Point that's where he lived. He also said that he worked for a temp agency that has its headquarters in Greenfield. I went there. I called them. I finally got a hold of someone who said they were familiar. They knew who George Ramsey was. They said, no, he hasn't worked here for a long time. So he was lying about where he worked and lived, according to these places when we called them. um, And and we couldn't find him. Finally, there was a court date where he had to appear in person. And that's where we finally caught up with Ramsey and had the opportunity to ask him some of these questions. Hi, Mr. Ramsey. My questions for you actually aren't about this case. They're about these right here. Do you wanna see them? I can give you this copy. There's four rape cases from 1997 to 2002. Do you know what the common thread is? You were arrested for all four of them. Can you explain that? How did you get a therapy license with a record like that? If you see the story, if you watch the story, uh, you'll see that not only did Ramsey not answer any questions, he took his jacket that he was wearing, put it up over his head and kept it there and walked down the, the entire hallway with his jacket covering his head um I, I suppose as though we weren't going to see the booking photos from the last 30 or 40 years but um but no he had nothing to say so got no real explanation from him about any of this
2: but i also think uh, something that made my mouth go huh was the sound bite or the sound that you you know his i assume is was his attorney standing with him was it outside the elevator and you hear him say you need to do better research do better research
1: yeah i think that was a, a Uh, A a spur of the moment thing. The attorney said, I don't know if this is an attorney who's not experienced with media cases and hasn't had many of these. I'm sure that can be a sort of, you know, an adrenaline inducing moment. You've got a television camera following your client down the hallway. Um, It seems you know, somewhat confrontational at that point. I'm firing questions about how did you get a therapy license with a record like this? Um, And and I'm saying you're lying about where you live and where you work. Why are you doing that? And that's when the attorney says you need to do better research. Um, Clearly, we've done a lot of research on this case. I mean, starting with producer Pete uh, getting all of these records from Milwaukee police. If you looked at the time we spent just trying to track Ramsey down, I mean, I've created maps Uh, in Google Maps with multiple points as we should check this place, this place, and this place. We put an inordinate amount of time into just trying to get Ramsey's side of the story and understand how did all of this happen? Maybe there's something he wants to tell us about these four rape allegations uh, that that never led to charges that he thinks are completely wrong. Um, But but we didn't get anything. That attorney, by the way, had just taken the case. He was brand new on this case. Uh, It's the third attorney Ramsey has had since this process began. So, You know, I'll give him a little bit of uh, a grace that he just got thrown into this and there's a camera following him down the hallway. But when he says you need to do better research, that's one thing we do pretty well.
0: Well, I'm sure he learned something or he will after this story is big picture. What can be learned from this? Can anything be done to prevent women or men from being put in this kind of position in the future?
1: Well, I did talk to a couple of experts, uh, those who are advocates for victims of sexual violence um, with the Wisconsin Coalition Against Sexual Assault and Rain, which is a national organization, the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network. Both of them were obviously troubled, concerned by this, but they both had a difficult time identifying what the easy solution is here. And, And the challenge is because we're dealing with arrest records, not conviction records. And, and actually, Ian Henderson in particular was pretty adamant about saying they don't want people's past arrests if they weren't convicted. They don't want those to be used against them in future employment. They actually run into a lot of people who are who have a difficult time getting employment because of previous run-ins with the law. So he didn't really want to advocate for saying, well, we should also consider everybody's arrest records. Because again, if you've been arrested but not convicted, you're innocent under the law. So technically George Ramsey's certainly innocent of all four of those cases, but if you are the one evaluating is this a person we should be giving this kind of a license or this kind of access to, those things must stand out as red flags. And one of the things that Camille Cooper with Rain said to me was she would like to see arrests be considered as a piece, especially for a position like this where there is such vulnerability and sensitivity. Victims are often the most vulnerable and reluctant when they have credibility issues themselves. And someone who's going to see a substance abuse counselor is automatically vulnerable and automatically has credibility issues. They're addicts. And so when you're going to put someone in that kind of position of authority, she said she believes it's appropriate to consider arrests as an additional red flag. Let's also remember that Ramsey had four felony convictions prior to applying for a license. Now, maybe those four felony convictions alone, they were in possession of a firearm they were you know a drunk driving case there was uh, a, a a robbery maybe the state could look at those and say well he's applying to be a substance abuse counselor and after all those are often people with a troubled past themselves that's what gets them into that role but when you add in the element of these four very serious cases if he was already on the fence that might be the tipping point where they say you know what this is just not a person who's appropriate now They also said Camille Cooper uh, from Rain said she's not really sure legally where that would fall. It may well be that the state wouldn't be able to make a strong case. They can't consider him guilty of those of those sexual assaults because he wasn't charged. So are these other crimes, are, are they substantially related to the practice of therapy or counseling to the degree that they could have denied him a license? It's not clear. The one thing that gives us some hope going forward that maybe this wouldn't happen again These rape cases occurred from or alleged rape cases that were never charged, but these arrests occurred from 1997 to 2002. And at that time, there was still a lot of stuff being done on paper. There wasn't as much use of DNA. Um, The sense is that today, someone who had the same history, if in fact these were for rapes that occurred as described by the victims, that the DNA taken from the person who was arrested would have uh, flagged you know, four times in the system and, and police may have been able to do more with it. In other words, systems have changed to the point that where maybe this wouldn't happen again. You'd certainly hope not. But from the side of the state agency being able to detect this and prevent it, there's no real easy answer. It's a challenging one. In the end, it's obviously an important one, though, because you have three victims in 2018 and 2021 uh, who are all now part of this criminal case that that is pending against Ramsey, who suffered uh just traumatic and and awful things, if those things are true, um, that they won't easily overcome. And it is time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual, have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared... Executive producer Sarah Smith is stretching her arms, getting prepared to ask us. <laughs>
2: As you were reading that, I realized question. I was like, I'm s- sitting with such poor posture. I need to stretch. I'm just getting ready for this. Off the record, okay. So today, I have a question, and it reminded me of something that my grandma used to do. Um, and, and granted, you know, our grandparents and older relatives lived through some real tough times, and. Did a lot of things that maybe don't really make sense to us now. But my grandma used to save the styrofoam under the one-pound um, ground beef, or you know, some sort of ground meat. You know, the little whole, little plate. Oh she'd yeah, wash th- them right, off right. and save them. And there would in her house, there'd be a stack of them. I don't what know. Did I've use never them seen for? her. I've never seen her. No clue. I never saw her use one. But they were there just in case. Um, so that leads me to my question of what. Uh, so-called old person things do you do? I
1: thought you were going to ask me like, what things do I serve? Because the 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 the, a similar thing, like today's version of that, I think is Amazon boxes, right? Because you get... (laughs) It's a good box. But there are so many brand new, great boxes and the thing is, I I hate them piling up in my house so I usually have a a, sort of a a periodic, like, okay, box teardown time and I take the exacto knife and I, you know, box cutter and I chop them up and i throw them in the recycling and, and it's great but as it gets closer and closer to christmas i go mm, maybe i should hang on to that and my basement becomes box storage central <laughs> and it's like your grandma stack of the little styrofoam trays i have a whole bunch of boxes and it's it's actually it's funny it's like the first week of january when i go oh i don't need these anymore and i finally can sort of clear out my basement of all of the boxes i don't is that an old person thing
2: I feel like anything that you save slash reuse, which okay, I'm all for uh, saving the environment, reusing stuff. I mean,
1: but it's kind I- of I'm on board
2: because well, kind of <laughs> but I, but I will agree I do that too because I'll have a box that I'm ready to just break down because I don't need it cluttering my house. and I one at one point walked halfway to the recycling and went, it's a good box. I'm gonna keep this <laughs> like what? I don't know, so then I kept it I, I'm just, I i do not even know if I used it, but
0: Yeah, I sometimes, I'm thinking automatically of stuff that, like, we save. Like, I have a whole bin in my storage area of birthday party bags and, like, tissue paper because I get so many for my kids' birthdays, and I'm never going to have to buy a birthday party bag. I can't foresee in the next 10 years because I have so many. Um, Another old person thing is over the last year, I pretty much stopped wearing heels. (laughs) Although, (laughs) my grandmother, Mickey, wore heels for a very very long time, um, she was that kind of lady. And then I save, um, you know, like deli meat containers, for, like the hard plastic <laughs> ones. Sometimes like I wash those out or something. <laughs> yes, they have like yes. a lid, and sometimes I put like kids' toys in those to organize them. Yes, because they're just kind of that right size for like all those little bluey toys that might come with a set, or like Daniel Tiger yes. toys, that kind of yeah. stuff. But yeah. I think, I mean, I, that's what we think of when we think of our grandparents,
2: right? It's like saving, saving stuff. I know. Well, it's like the, it's like the Cool Whip container mm-hmm. or like the cr- country crock or country spread or whatever. Yeah. And you'd open it and you're like, that's not what that is. It's leftover beef stew. Or well, that's, that's a like, place, This is Tupperware.
1: That's where you save your, that's where you save your pennies.
2: That's what, yes, that's right. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I have so many pieces of actual Tupperware, like, you know, uh, whatever. And then I still end up saving those. Carl butting containers because hey that's a good container and that can hold my leftovers like what Why you do know we beyond do that? <laughs>
1: saving things the if it comes to like the the old person thing that I am most aware that I do is every morning I have to let the dogs out and when I do um, usually I have to reach down to the floor to get the hook to put on my 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 dog's collar um, and when I reach down to the floor I make the old man sound I go.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: I do that. Uh, and I, I make that. In, it's involuntary. I don't think about it. But as soon yeah. as I do it, I'm immediately aware of it. And then I'm like, okay, I need to stretch more, whatever it is. I, I make a lot more of those sounds.
2: I do find myself walking sometimes a little more gingerly. And at one point, my son, who is almost six, was like, why are you walking like that? I was like, oh, my back kind of hurts. And then I'm not kidding. Two days later, he was kind of walking funny. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, my back. I'm like, oh, gosh. I was like, you're five. You're fine. I'm just glad neither of you said that you shove Kleenex up your sleeve. What? Because, like, is that a- you know, to blow your nose. Like, like that's you don't where have a you pocket, save it?
1: Well, but I usually have pockets.
2: Well, I don't know. Maybe some grandmas and grandpas don't. I, I would say that my grandma and then also my husband's grandma, who are both no longer with us, but they both would shove Kleenex right in their little thing here and then it'd be funny because then it'd start to like poke out and then you'd be like tuck that Kleenex in <laughs> so
1: it is just, it is know. it strange that we're on a medium podcast that is probably the most youthful medium out there and we're talking about what old <laughs> people we are
0: Old people <laughs> well, we are, yeah. well I speaking of old people I feel like I need like two sweaters on every day now I'm just sitting here shivering in my basement so I don't know about you I'm, I'm getting colder now that I'm in my late 30s I just want a sweater or two on all the time. Oh, and I got a really big fuzzy bathrobe that goes all the way to the floor. (laughs) And I love it so much. So I feel like an old lady when I put that on, too.
2: I don't know, Jenna, just wait till you're my age and you start to get start to feel hot every once in a while. That's really great, too.
1: (laughs) I posted something on social media recently, like commented on something. I don't know what it was, but I started it out with the, you know, I don't know if I sound like an old man here, but blah, blah, blah. And like three different people said, "Yep, you do." And I was like, yep. "Oh my gosh, it's 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 no longer like a funny thing to say. It's actually becoming true. So I need to it's avoid way. saying that."
0: Someone said that to me the other day because I heard a, a song on Top 40, and I said, "Those lyrics are terrible." <laughs> and I won't even repeat them now. And someone was like, "You sound really old." Yeah, I was like, "That was that was violent." <laughs>
1: Uh, Welcome to Open Record, the theater for the old folks. Uh, If you have a topic you would like us to discuss on Open Record, it doesn't have to be something for old people.
2: Something youthful. Something
1: youthful. An issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email. Send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that is Fox Six Investigators at Fox.com. Sarah Jenna, thanks for being on the podcast again this week.
2: Of course, no our problem. pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, of course Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back next week.